So, at about the time when uh, Jesus was born, um, that, that great chasm in history in our dating system between BC and um, AD, there was a, a great sense of expectation in the world. Um, we know from Roman historians and uh, a very well-known Jewish historian, Josephus, that at the time when Jesus was born, there was an expectation already in the world that a ruler was going to be born, that he was going to rule the world, and that actually he was going to be born in Judea. And so what we have before us today in these 12 verses in Matthew chapter 2 is really an account about that expectation. Uh, and it's a, about that expectation being met in seeing that Jesus is the King. Now, this reality that Jesus is the King is an uncomfortable truth that millions, if not billions of people face every Christmas. Maybe they're invited along to church by their friends or their family, or they go to a nativity scene at a school, or they watch it on TV or hear it on the radio or on the internet. They hear this, this idea that Jesus is the King. And often people reject it. They ignore it. Or they laugh at it. They look at it with scorn and think, how could a baby so small be a king? But you see, the Bible makes no apologies for proclaiming to the world that Jesus is the king. That Jesus is the king of the, the Jewish nation, but he's also the king of the non-Jewish nations as well. People like you and me, uh, Gentiles. Uh, in the Old Testament, there are numerous prophecies about someone that was going to be born into the world, that this person was going to be the Messiah, that he was going to be a king, that he was going to be both God and man. He was going to be a descendant of King David, the most famous king of Israel's history. And the Old Testament tells us that the world needed this king, needed this saviour, this Messiah, because humanity had fallen short of God's character, of God's glory, of God's standard, which is perfection. And so mankind needed to be saved, because the Bible says that mankind is sinful, that we are all sinners, we all rebel against God, and that we've all inherited this from the first man, Adam. And so then as we come to the New Testament, the New Testament teaches us that this person that was born into the world was Jesus. That Jesus, when he was born and he began to live, he fulfilled all the prophecies about this Messiah in the things that he did and the things that he said. And so when he came the first time, he came as a suffering king who went to the cross to serve the world by being judged and dying for all the things that we've done against God and against each other. But then on the third day, he rose again, showing that he defeated 
those things that we've done against God and against each other. He rose into heaven and one day he's going to come back not as a suffering king anymore but as a conquering king in his resurrected body. Praise God. Now the thing is, is whether we choose to believe that or not, it doesn't change the fact that it's true. Whether we come to Jesus this Christmas with a heart of submission or a heart of rejection, he is still the king. And in this account, in the first 12 verses of Matthew 2, people at, the t- at that time were beginning to have to wrestle with this idea or this question, how am I going to respond to Jesus? How am I going to recognize him? Am I going to recognize him as the king? Rumors were going around about his birth, about how it was an uh, immaculate conception. And people were thinking, man, how am I going to res- respond to this child? And so this, in this account, we're going to see a group of men called the wise men. And we're going to see Herod. And we're going to see how they recognized Jesus as the king. But we're going to see that they recognize him as the king with different stances of heart. The wise men are going to recognize him in expectation and in worship. And Herod is going to recognize him in fear. And what God wants you to consider this morning, if you're in this place and you don't know God, or even if you do know God, is which one of these groups do you fall into? Are you a wise man or are you a Herod? Because whatever group you fall into, however you recognize Jesus as the king this morning, has a profound impact upon your destination that you're going to when you die. So this question that God wants to ask you is really a matter of life or death. He doesn't want you to switch off now and not listen to this boring Bible story that you've listened to over 30 times. Listen. God wants to speak to you today. So, in the first two verses, we're introduced to these group of men called wise men. And that, those two words in Greek is one word, and it's the word magi. And the history of that word would help us to identify these men as being priests in a pagan religion that looked into uh, the stars. They were very interested in astrology. And what they did was they uh, looked up at the stars and they tried to predict events that were going to happen in the future or to make sense of things that were happening in the world at that time. It says that they were from the east, which means that they were probably from one of the eastern empires, most likely to be the Persian Empire at that time. And they came to Jerusalem. And they said when they got to Jerusalem, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So they came to Jerusalem with this expectation that they were going to find this one who'd been born king of the Jews sitting on a throne. And so they got there and they're like, where is he? Don't you know about this guy? We thought he'd be here, sitting on a throne. Why did they have this expectation? Well, it says that they had seen his star in the east. Now, we don't know exactly what 
this means. Many Bible commentators say different things. But it was obviously something that they saw in the sky. It was some kind of cosmic event. And what they did is, they, is that they linked this cosmic event, whatever it was, with something in the Old Testament. And we have to know that these guys would have had the Old Testament in their hands because remember that the uh, part of the uh, nation of Israel were held captive in the Persian Empire for a time. They would have taken their scriptures uh, with them and the scriptures would have been infiltrated into the Persian culture. And so these guys would have had it readily available. And what they linked this cosmic event to was a prophecy that was made in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, which should be up on the screen. It says there, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. So when this prophecy was made, it was made by a man called Balaam, and uh, he was prophesying for the fourth time over Israel. And he'd uh, realized that it was better to prophesy good things about Israel rather than bad things. And when he said these things, here in Numbers 24, verse 17, he may or may not have known this, but he was prophesying about the king that would come, the Messiah. Uh, he says that he saw him, but he wasn't then. He beheld him, but he was not near. He was going to be a star that would come out of Jacob and he would batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult, speaking about the reality of this king being a conquering king in the future. And so these wise men, they saw this cosmic event, they looked at this prophecy and they put two and two together and they started to ask questions. What does this mean? Could this mean that this, this king might be born soon? Uh, is it going to happen in uh, Israel? They started to have their intellectual appetites whetted. But they didn't just sit there and reflect on this kind of link that they made. They got up and went to Jerusalem and they said that they went there, listen, to worship him. And the Greek word for worship there means to bow down, to pay homage, to say, we want to uh, pledge our allegiance to you. Now this is interesting because the Bible is very clear that no human being seeks after God. It says this in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, where it says, Just as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. No human being in their sinful state, their rebellious state against God, seeks after him. It doesn't matter if there's hundreds of religions out there in the world. None of them are truly seeking after the true God. Because as sinful, rebellious people that human beings are, we see God as our enemy. And we don't seek after him. We can't seek after him. And the Bible's very clear that it's only God himself that can draw people to himself. It says this in John 6.44. This is Jesus speaking. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me 
draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Only God can draw people to himself. Human beings don't seek after him. And so what we can learn from this is it was God who was showing these wise men this cosmic sign. It was God who was showing them this prophecy in Numbers 24, verse 17. It was God who was showing them that they didn't just want to sit there and reflect on it, that they needed to get up, go to Jerusalem, go to this king of the Jews and bow down to him. They didn't know the full details about the gospel at this time. They may or may not have known that Jesus was going to specifically die in a certain way. But they knew that they needed him. They knew that this king would meet their needs. And you see, this is what God has done for the entire history of humanity. He draws people to himself. And he's done that more so, I would say, in the last 2,000 years, since Jesus has died and risen again. And he does that in a couple of ways. He speaks certain things to people when he's drawing them to himself. He shows them that they have a need for him, that they have a need for him because they are sinful, that they've fallen short of his perfection. And he shows them that that need they have can be met in Jesus' death and in his resurrection. Maybe there are some of you in here today or listening online at this moment, and you have maybe been invited to church by a friend or a family member, or you've come on your own accord, or you've just typed it into Google or something, I don't know. But you, for some reason, just have a sense that something is wrong in your life. You have a sense of guilt that you've done bad things. But you have an interest in Jesus. You've heard about Jesus very briefly, heard that he's the Son of God, heard that he loves you, heard that he's done something for you. Well, if you're in that place today, I give praise to the Lord because it's God that's drawing you to himself. And he wants to satisfy those questions that you have today. So keep listening. So then in verse 3, we're introduced to our second character in this story, Herod the king. Now, when this was uh, taking place, Herod was probably in his late 60s. He'd been reigning as the king of the Jews for about 30 to 40 years. He was a very strong man externally. He was a very, very talented military man. He'd won a lot of battles uh, in his kingship. But internally, in his heart, he was very anxious, very weak. He'd had a lot of challenges to his rulership, his authority, particularly from his sons, actually, that unfortunately he murdered. So he was, he was a very um, wayward man, externally very strong, internally very weak. And this is why he probably was very troubled when he heard these wise men say these things. Because he's thinking, oh no, here we go again. Not someone else that's going to challenge my kingship. And, And Jerusalem was probably troubled because they were thinking, is he going to go on another murdering rampage? But notice, he doesn't completely reject what these wise men say. 
And that's probably because he had a sense of expectation at the time about this king being born. And so what does he do? He gets the head honchos in. He calls the chief priests who were involved in worship in the temple. He gets the scribes who would be writing scripture all the time. And he says to them, where is the Christ, which means God's chosen king, going to be born? And so they say to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, because it's written in the prophet Micah, in chapter 5, verse 2, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So there's this reality, there's this prophecy about this place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not going to be one of the uh, unknown places in the land. It was going to be a well-known place because out of this place, a ruler would be born who would shepherd his people, Israel. So Herod takes this all in, in verse 7, and he calls the wise men to him and sort of tries to have a chat with them in secret about where the star appeared, what time was it, and he says, okay, I've listened to what you've said and what the uh, scribes and the chief priests have said. I want you to go to Bethlehem, and when you go there, I want you to search carefully for this young child and if you find him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him there also. So we have to give Herod the benefit of the doubt at this point, that he really wanted to worship Jesus, because the word for worship there is the same word that it used for the wise men, to bow down and to pay homage. But this is not what Herod wanted to do. And we know that because of what it says further on. In verse 12, when the Wise men had gone to Jesus, they were going to go back to Herod. They were warned not to in a dream and that they should go back to their home country a different way. And when Herod heard about this, he was furious. And what he did was horrible. He actually ordered for all the children, two or under, in the area where Jesus was, to be killed, to be put to death. Because he was so mad. But that shows us that Herod didn't really want to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus. He had begun to recognize that Jesus was the king. But he began to recognize that Jesus was the king with fear. He was fearful of Jesus because he didn't want Jesus to take over his kingship. He didn't want Jesus to rule him. He didn't want Jesus to take away everything that he had in his life, all his privilege, all his money, all his authority. So he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill the child. Sobering stuff. But the thing about this is that for the majority of the people who are going to think about Jesus this Christmas, consider that he might be the king, or even recognize that he's the king, they're going to respond to Jesus the same way Herod did, with fear. It's going to be wrapped in different ways. It might just be laughing at Jesus, or ignoring Jesus, or rejecting Jesus outrightly. But it's all the same thing. It's all recognizing Jesus as king with fear. Because people like Herod don't want Jesus to rule their lives. 
They don't want Jesus to tell them what to do, even though he's good, even though he's loving. They don't want him to have any influence in their lives. And this is because, again, human beings are sinners. We rebel against God. And because of that, we want to be the God of our own lives. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. We Christians in here know that even after we've been born again. We struggle, don't we, to let Jesus rule our lives even if we love him. But sinful people don't want Jesus to rule their lives. Now this is something that should not be celebrated. We live in a culture in the UK at the moment, a secular, atheistic culture that celebrates what Herod is like. Celebrates the fact that we don't have Jesus anymore. We don't need God. We've got science We've got all these guys who are the leaders of the atheistic religion. We don't need this God anymore. We don't need Jesus. But you see, this is not something to celebrate because God is very clear that there is a consequence to our rebellion, to our rejection of Jesus, and that is judgment. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, It says, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. There will come a time in the future where every person that's ever lived, no one gets away from this, will stand before God and have to give an account for their lives. And the Bible is very clear that the only way that you can have any chance in that judgment to be okay is if you know God through Jesus Christ. If you are in Jesus Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is what Herod is rejecting here in this account. He's rejecting the only way to be saved, the only way that you can be right with God, the only way that you can have a guarantee in the future to be okay in that judgment that is going to come. I know it's not a popular thing to to talk about. No one talks about judgment anymore in the UK. But it's the truth. And I love you so much. God loves you so much that he wants you to know the truth. He wants you to know what is coming so that you can be okay. So, I want to ask you a question in this place this morning. If you, in your heart of hearts, know that you are like Herod, know that you're just coming along to another service just to kind of look, you know, look as if you're doing the right thing, but really in your heart of hearts, you don't want anything to do with Jesus. I just want to ask you a question. Do you really want to be like Herod? Do you really want to reject a God that the Bible says is love? Do you want to reject a God that the Bible says is gracious, wants to pour his favor out upon you? Do you really want to reject a God that is compassionate, is kind, is slow to anger? 
And I want to ask you a question, those gods that you do worship, because every human being worships, whether it's the TV, your money, your career, your sports team, whatever it may be, are they as loving as God? Are they as gracious to you as God? Are they going to be as compassionate and as kind to you as God? I don't think so. Please, think about these things if you know that you're a Herod in this place this morning. Don't reject Jesus this Christmas. Don't walk away from him like you've done every Christmas for the last 20, 30 years. Because if you do, it will be the most foolish thing that you've ever done. And God doesn't want you to do that. So, lastly, in verses 9 to 11, we come back to the wise men. So the wise men, they hear what King Herod says. They go and they depart and they see the cosmic event again, the star And they follow the star and it takes them to Bethlehem and it stops over Bethlehem where the young child is. And it says there in verse 10 that when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And I think that's probably just a sense of relief that they finally made it. They've been traveling for hundreds of miles following this star. And finally it's rested over the place where they're their king is, and, and, and they just have a sense of relief, and this joy just wells up in their heart. And it says there that they go into the house, they see the young child who is Jesus, and Mary, his mother, and they fall down and worship him. And so what's happening here? These wise men, they are seeing with their very eyes Jesus as he is meant to be, and as the scriptures tell us that he is. And because of that, they fall down and worship him. They've seen the prophecy about the star fulfilled. They've seen the prophecy about him being born in Bethlehem fulfilled. And now they just can see this and they're like, man, I just want to bow down and pay homage to this probably two-year-old at this point. And you are the king. I need to pledge my allegiance to you. And you see, this is what we want for you in here this morning. We want you to see Jesus for who he truly is, that the scriptures say that he is, that he's not just some insignificant baby that was born 2,000 years ago that culturally we celebrate every Christmas, that he is the prophesied Messiah, that he is the one who chose to come down from heaven for you to take on human flesh to go to the cross for you and to suffer in a way that is inexcusably painful for you, to die for you so that you could be reconciled to God. Hallelujah. So that you could be forgiven. So that you could know the God who has created you, who has made you, who has given you life. This is what we want you to see. I can't force you to see that. I can't even use wise words or clever words to make you see that. It is only God that can show you that. The Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit has to glorify Jesus to people, has to point people to Jesus Christ. And we pray that that's happening in this place this morning. And if it is happening, praise God. We give him the glory. 
And you may be in here and you may be thinking, okay, Adam, I, I sense this guilt about things that I've done wrong. I see the, the, the need that I have to turn maybe in some way to Jesus or have an interest in him. But how do I truly fall down and worship this person? How do I truly become saved? Well, look at what the wise men did. It says there that they opened treasures and they presented to Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Now, when the wise men did this, they were presenting him with these gifts because these gifts reflected something about Jesus' earthly life or earthly ministry. The gold represented that he would be a king. The frankincense represented that he would be a priest or he would be the perfect fulfilment of the Old Testament priests and he would be the perfect mediator between man and God. And then the myrrh represented the fact that he would have to die. So what are they doing when they give him these gifts? They are saying, look, we acknowledge your ministry. We acknowledge that you are our king. We acknowledge that you are our priest. We acknowledge that you have to die for us to be right. They are responding to Jesus by faith. And that is the simple thing that you have to exercise to be right with God. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to go to a certain church. You don't have to do don't have to be baptised as a baby, all these things. It's simply faith that allows you to enter into being right with God. It says in Galatians 3.26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So what that means in very simple terms is this. That if you know that you've done things wrong, if you know that you're a sinner if you know that God is saying to you, there's something wrong about that, I want you to come to me, I want you to turn to me, then God calls you this morning to turn from that life and to turn to him and to simply believe that Jesus is your king, that Jesus is your perfect high priest and that ultimately Jesus died for you that he took upon himself all of your bad things, all of your sin, so that you, by faith, could be forgiven, that you could be declared righteous and innocent before God's sight. That's a simple reality of becoming a believer, becoming a Christian in this place this morning. Put your faith in Jesus. I'm just going to pray for a minute and I want to end this message. And I want to ask you to respond just in, just in prayer as I'm praying. If you feel that the Lord is speaking to you, if you feel that God is calling you to himself this morning, then just pray with me. Father, 
thank you that you are real. I acknowledge in this place this morning, Lord, that you are the creator of the entire universe, the creator of this world, and the creator of me. Lord, I confess in this place that I have done things against you and against my fellow man that does not meet your character, your standard. And I acknowledge that I am a sinner in this place. But equally, Lord, I acknowledge that you are love. You are a God of grace and compassion. And you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, who was born a baby, but he grew up into a man. He grew up into my Saviour. And he went to the cross for me, to die for my sin. And I acknowledge that he rose again on the third day for me, and that he will come back to this world and rule this world forever and ever. Lord, we praise you, we glorify you, we thank you for everything that you've done, that you are going to do, and we just praise your name, Lord, now, in Jesus' name, amen.